Alrighty, so just a slight mistake in the reading of Scripture. It's one of those mornings. We're on Acts 2.42, and so um, and verses that, that follow that. So let me read that to you this morning, and uh, then we'll jump in. Acts 2.42 through, um, through 47 is our Scripture. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So what Dave read is a great backdrop, uh, never wasted when you read Scripture. It's a great backdrop for what's now happening. They hear the word, they're pierced, they're cut to the heart, and their response is this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending in their homes or attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This morning we look in the second part of a sermon series that is looking at our disciple-making process here. And uh, we last week talked about discover, discovering God, and today we talk about belonging. Belonging to the family of God, discover, belong, serve, and go. Those are these four uh, steps you might think about or stops on the journey, however you view it um, or the metaphor that may come to mind, uh, that's what we're talking about. Peter has preached this sermon that has excited them in their hearts. It has pierced them deep in their hearts, and their response is a word they devoted themselves. That word devoted uh, means constantly diligent. Stick to itness has been coined as of late. The ability to stick to something they devoted themselves. Please hear me. Their conversion was emotional. You can see it was emotional. They were pierced to the heart. I'm guessing that it was not as much an emotional high as it was an emotional low. They realized they were the ones who crucified Jesus who was the Son of God, and so the realization that their sin had a devastating effect on the Son of God was real. They were pierced to the heart. That word devoted, what does it mean? When I think of the word devotion, at times people come to mind. One such person who comes to my mind is Jerry Siegel. Jerry is married to Layla. 
We've prayed for Jerry and Layla, but especially for Layla many times. Layla taught school for many years, 30-some years to be exact, only to come into retirement and be diagnosed with ALS. Layla, her diagnosis, her um, symptoms rather, came in her throat. She initially had faulty speech. When you listen to her speak at the beginning, her words were difficult to ascertain, to understand, and they thought it was other things until finally they realized that she had ALS. She um, began to get treatment, and as you know with ALS, it doesn't get better, it gets worse, and so hers has done that now over the last few years. Uh, the worsening has come in different ways. Now a feeding tube, now the complete inability to speak. Layla uses a, a pad, great technology. She will write her messages out. She has two of those. And sometimes when I'm with her, I'll just choose to be silent myself. And I'll write and she'll write and we'll just write back and forth to one another. The unsung hero in any person's illness is the person who takes care of them. It is the person who is by their side day in and day out, the person who takes them to the doctor, the person who sees them begin to go down, who sees their situation begin to change. I spoke with Jerry recently. Layla recently had a fall. It was difficult and damaging. And I spoke to Jerry, and every time Layla emails me, which is about once a week, she'll say, and pray for Jerry, and pray for Jerry. It's hard to take care of somebody like me and pray for Jerry. When Jerry and Layla got married, they had no idea that the road of their marriage would lead to this stop. They did not know that as they trekked through and had two daughters who would marry and have a lot of grandkids, that down the road they would get to a stop that would include such a diagnosis and that his task would be to, in her last email to me, do things for me I no longer can do for myself, like blow dry my hair. That's devotion. It's stick to itness. It's it's you do what you do when you don't feel like doing what you're doing. It, 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 you don't ride emotions and live in that world. The emotions will fail you, I promise. There will be days when you will not want to take care of her like that. And I'm here to say to you this morning that the same is with your walk with the Lord. You may, when you came to Christ, have experienced an emotional uh, high event for you. But now, you may sit here today and your emotions are low. That doesn't bother me as your pastor. I, I, my goal is not that you live from mountaintop to mountaintop. 
No, I'm convinced that if you don't walk through the valleys, you will not grow, you will not become who God intends you to be. And devotion, to be devoted, means you are devoted when life is good and when it isn't. So let's look at a few qualities of devotion this morning that come straight from the early church. Number one, stick to authoritative teaching. Stick to authoritative teaching. Though Peter preached the first sermon, clearly, as we discover here, the apostles also began to preach and teach. What was their textbook? Who was their subject? This is critical. Their textbook was the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't, of course, available yet, so they used the Old And their subject was Jesus. That might surprise you, but Jesus is all over the Old Testament. He's everywhere in it. As a matter of fact, what is uh, called the first good news shows up in Genesis 3.15. And uh, Jesus then is woven all throughout the Old Testament. They looked into the old and they preached the new. They looked into the old and they preached Jesus. At Grace, we have a high view of Scripture. We unapologetically believe that God's Word is God's Word from beginning to end. As a matter of fact, our uh, statement you'll see on the screen, the Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. That's what we believe about God's word here. We believe that the Bible that you brought with you this morning is indeed trustworthy and is, as the writer of Hebrews said, the living active word of God. Our culture, and I'm convinced along with Tim Keller, because of people's desire to justify their own behavior, has backed away from and denied the authority of Scripture. Because we want to do what we want to do, we then must undermine the authority that says we can or cannot do what we want to do. The very fact that someone feels that they should argue against Scripture is indeed an argument for it. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. People only argue against potentially viable points. And so the fact that 2,000 years later, People are still arguing against this, says something about what you hold in your hand this morning. When the winds of culture blow strong, a church, a people, a person anchored in God's word will stay the course and not be shipwrecked by cultural hurricanes. Let me say that again. When the winds of the culture blow strong, a church, a people, A person anchored in God's word will stay the course and not be shipwrecked by cultural hurricanes. 
this week an article, a post, you might say, was posted by John Cooper, who is the lead singer for that band, been around for years, called Skillet. In it, he responds to a reality. I'll just read his words. He says, okay, I'm saying it, because it's too important not to. What is happening in Christianity? More and more of our outspoken leaders or influencers who were once faces of the faith are falling away. And at the same time, they're being very vocal and bold about it. Shockingly, they still want to influence others. For what purpose? He asked, as they announce they are leaving the faith, he says, I'll state my conclusion, then I'll state some rebuttals to statements I've read by some of them. And he states his conclusion. Listen, my conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. And yes, he says, that includes people like me. I've been saying for 20 years and seem probably quite judgmental to some of my peers that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the Word. I would say to you this morning, there's nothing wrong with a new song. But if songs are your only source of truth, and those songs are wimpy theologically, those songs cannot hold theological water. When the storms of life rage around you, when the news isn't good, when your parents become ill, when your son or daughter wanders away from the truth and you go looking for something to throw the anchor down and when the anchor goes and the winds get higher and the storms rage, you will shipwreck because what you have looked to for your strength and for your source will not stand in the storm. Please hear me. We must be anchored in the word of God when the storms of life come ripping at us and when they come raging. A pattern in the book of Acts emerges here. Their teaching was accompanied by signs and wonders. This is the same phrase used incidentally to describe what happened when Jesus did what he did. I want to speak to that this morning. I have a feeling by the end of my time, I will have made everybody mad. Signs and wonders are not Benny Hinn. Signs and wonders are not the preponderance of health and wealth prosperity that are readily available on your TV screen. They are not anointed oil cloths that you can send that somehow made it through David and somehow Jesus touched them 
That trick is as old as what Martin Luther encountered with the Protestant Reformation and the supposed relics that were said to have come from uh, uh, Jesus himself. Don't fall for it. A sign is a sign because it points to something. The only value in a sign is what it points to. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Just this just be real, right? If you're going somewhere and you see a sign, you never go, oh, cool sign. You go, oh, that's the way I go. That's what signs do, and that's what wonders do. The signs and wonders serve not to upstage the teaching, but to undergird it. The signs and wonders said, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. They did in his day, and they did the, in the apostles' day. Does God still do signs and wonders? Yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. And they still point to Jesus Christ. If they're his, why? In our consumeristic culture, we are prone to make signs and wonders primary, to make health and wealth the priority, to make knowing Jesus dependent on the spectacular. Signs and wonders are only signs and wonders. If they point to Jesus and increase your awe of him, then they're signs and wonders. Do you know what I am convinced in our day is the most compelling sign and wonder? A changed life. It's profound, isn't it? You see an alcoholic who drinks no more, a liar now tells the truth. A homosexual who's decided to stay pure. You, you see an adulterer who says, I'm sorry, and would you forgive me, and I'm coming home. And you go, wow, who in the world can bring that about? And then you ask, who did that? And they say, like the blind man said, his name was Jesus. I can't tell you a whole lot about him, but I know he changed me. Stick to authoritative teaching. Number two, stick to authentic fellowship. And the fellowship, that's our word koinonia, you may have heard before. It means participating in something or with someone. In something or with someone. What is the something? The something's the word of God. We established that. They, they, uh, they stuck to the word and the someone is other brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so authentic fellowship is to fellowship around the word with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verses 44 and 45. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and the, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now much has been made of these verses and is this communism or Marxism or whatever it is uh, that uh, many people say about it. Nothing here is mandatory. We see this happen again throughout scripture, uh, the book of Acts rather, and it's never mandatory. It's simply they saw a need, they met a need. We do that at this church, do we not? We see a need and you give and we meet a need. It was that, that's what they did. But what happened was remarkable fellowship, uh, a stick to to one another, a love for other brothers and sisters in Christ. That is why here we unashamedly champion life groups. Why? Because this isn't enough. You can be in this room and hear a lot of things, but you need somebody to process some things with. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, 
These verses are somewhat staggering. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Just look at that first line. There are two words or, or phrases that are the same sentence that are surprising. Take care what does it say? Take care who? Brothers. Say it loud. Take care who? Lest there be in any of you and what? Unbelieving heart. Who is the evil unbelieving heart in? Brothers. Believers. Don't know if that registers with you at all. What will that unbelieving evil heart do? Lead you to fall away from the living God. That is a danger. It is a danger that you can drift. That unbelief can take up residence in your heart and when it does... You can fall away from the living God. I must say to you, I cannot explain why, but as your pastor, I've never been more burdened in my years at this church as I am right now for our college students who are going away. I am deeply burdened for them. I am deeply burdened that they could entertain an unbelieving heart that will lead them to fall away from the living God. I would ask you to join me in praying for them, in praying that God somehow, as we've had so many this past week, leave our ranks and move into dorms and into apartment buildings, that God would somehow capture their hearts as they're in a new place. So what is the antidote to this? What keeps you, what keeps somebody else from having a, an evil, uh, unbelieving heart, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. That's the word koinonia that we looked at a moment ago, this word fellowship. If indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. Walking with God isn't easy. Amen? It is not easy. Temptations come. Let's be real. Life is hard. Life comes at us fast at times. It is difficult. I'm just saying to you, you're saying, wow, Jerry, if you're trying to get people to sign up, this isn't the sermon. I, I, I get that. I'm just saying to you, if we cannot in this room and in a life group be real about the fact that walking with God might just be the hardest thing you ever do in your life, 
It might just be one of the things that cause you to make cause you to make the toughest decisions in your life. If we can't come to terms with that here, you guys are going to be a wash at sea out there. We have to own that. That's why it says take care. Take care, brothers. So how do you do it? You exhort one another. What is an exhortation? That's an encouraging warning. All right, please hear me. Last night we had a remarkable life group leaders meeting. You as a life group leader have a single, we have 49 life groups in this church just among adults. Your role is to exhort your folks. Speak truth even though at times it's hard. That's your task. You are to speak truth into those folks. Not from somebody who's arrived or figured it out. We know that. Exhort. One another. How often? This may surprise you. What does it say? Every day. Every day. This is why I encourage you, if you're in a life group, daily text now with technology there's so many ways that you can communicate with one another exhort one another every day as is, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin there's a young man in our church that is like a son to me in the faith i led him to the lord and and he's just like that to me and he battles. He battles a real deal battle with alcohol. It's real. It is not play. It is not pretend. It was a couple of Fridays ago. And he shot me a text and he said, please pray. Getting off work. My temptation is to go drink. It's just my temptation. I said, you got it, son. Next question. Do your does your life group know his answer back to me yes i've reached out to to the men in my life group they're all texting me right now that's what we're talking about be real be real own it we welcome you if you struggle this is your place if sin is 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 crouching at your door just tell somebody Sin is crouching at my door. I'm so tempted. This is what I want to do. At 12.15 p.m. today, a blog will release uh, on accountability. It will talk about what godly accountability looks like. It will give you potential questions. It will give you just a few principles around it. I'm just saying to you that you cannot battle well alone. If you're a young adult, 18 to 28, I happen to think, and perhaps it is just my unique burden right now, it is my unique burden right now, but I happen to think that you're in the, uh, the, the crosshairs of Satan. I really do. I think if he can get this generation, if he can somehow kick the props out from and under you, he scored. And so this Wednesday night, Converge, 6 p.m., youth building next door, 18 to 28-year-olds, it's for you. Alan Michael on our staff is for you. That service is for you. Show up. 
and get involved. Married, single, does not matter. Anybody, 18 to 28, child care provided, be there. Why? Because we all have blind spots. All right, so I don't know. I haven't seen my notes if this is on the screen. All right, so you, you guys are going to find this hilarious because I might be one of the worst drivers on the planet. I, I mean, I just might. I, driving isn't my thing. Honestly, if I were wealthy, it would be better insurance-wise to hire a driver. Like, it, it, it's one of those things. But I, I discovered this, and I made the adjustment, and it seems to be working. So according to this article, all cars have blind spots, I've always been convinced without any research that mine is worse, but uh, all cars have blind spots, and the contention of this little article is that, it, is that they're made worse when the mirrors are adjusted wrong, and I've always thought that my mirrors ought to be where I can see part of my vehicle, and according to this, they shouldn't be, and they should be pushed out to where you see none of your vehicle and the other vehicles around. Now, some of you may have one of those fancy cars, right, where it just, like, a little light comes up saying, somebody beside you. I don't have those, but I get distracted by people who do. I, it's just, I really do. I'll go, oh, they, they know I'm beside them. Maybe I should just go back and forth. <laughs> like, I'll back off, and then I'll, oh, there it goes again. Like, this is a game. This is kind of fun, you know. We play this, and they're like, annoying dude and cheap jeep right just won't leave me alone so at any rate why do I show that please hear me please hear me please hear me everybody in the room has a blind spot you have a place that you cannot see in your life that only somebody else can see and unless you open yourself up to somebody else to see the blind spot guess what you're going to to wreck into something or somebody and so you've got to have eyes on your blind spot and if you sit here and say this morning, I know I was making my life, you know, I'm just, I'm, 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 yeah. Well, if that's you, I know exactly what that means. Heard it more than once, then I'll be at the wreck. All right, number three, stick to Christ-centered worship. Uh, Acts 2.42, to the breaking of bread. And day by day, attending the temple together, that's big group, and breaking bread in their homes, that's small group. So this would be worship, life group, you might say. They receive their food with glad, generous hearts. You need the big and the small. All right, super simple. You need the big and the small. You need this, right? Isn't it beautiful when we sing together? You know, all, you're all the voices, and there's something that's uplifting about it. So that's the big. You need the small, uh, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Number four, stick to dependent praying and the prayers. So the people, the Jews, prayed three times a day. And we discovered the church taking that up. It looks like they prayed three times a day. You, you'll see later in the book of Acts, they went up at the time of prayer. So, so the new Christians didn't say, hey, hey, we want to improve on this. No, we'll just keep praying three times a day. Reading a little book or finished uh, reading a little book, uh, and uh, several of you uh, are reading it called Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction. It is so good. I'm just saying it is so good came out just this year. Common rule, habits of purpose for an age of distraction. Wow. Um, Alan Michael will be leading uh, a Sunday or a Thursday night, equip you on spiritual disciplines. If you want to develop how to walk with God and, and, and to grow spiritually, Alan Michael's class is good. This little book is good. There's one thing that this book uh, recommends, uh, written by an attorney uh, out of Virginia, 
uh, used to be a missionary in China, um, and, and came out of the necessity of his crazy life. Um, kneeling prayer, he says, three times a day. Like actually getting on your knees three times a day. He recommends as one of the four daily habits he puts forth. I've been doing this not perfectly since. And uh, I'm going to say to you, there's something about a kneeling posture that reorients you. There's something about kneeling that humbles you. I just, I recommend you give that a shot. Doesn't have to be a super long prayer, but kneeling before God. A few weeks ago, I gave a handout. I think we still have some available in the back. So, Jan, if you'll check, uh, it's, uh, it's the one on prayer that Doug uh, shared uh, that uh, gives, a, it's a big, big, long sheet on prayer. And several of you are using that, and you're saying that's super helpful. Uh, wow, that's been so, so good to me. Uh, you can pick that up as you leave. I'm pretty sure those are back there. I saw them the other day. Stick to dependent praying. Uh, we, we need God. What was the result of all this? Um, and awe came upon every soul. Awe in God. I want increased awe, don't you? I want the wow factor, not in any consumeristic way, but just in who God is to, to grow. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The result of health is growth. It's just true. It's true in your body. It's true in plants. It's true in animals. Um, if they're healthy, they'll grow. And if a church is healthy, it'll grow. It's just a result. It'll grow. Healthy churches grow. Unhealthy churches do not. Healthy people grow. Unhealthy people do not. And the church grew. So you say, Jerry, what are my next steps? Um, how, how do I belong? I, I think they're going to end up being two. All right, so I'll share with you. Number one is uh, life group. If you're not in one and you want to be in one, you can write it on your connection card. Or as you leave, in the right-hand corner, we're developing this whole space for people to take your very next steps in discipleship. And, uh, and somebody will, uh, James will be there or someone else will be there. They'll be able to answer your question about being in a life group. So if you want to be in one, that's your place. Just go. Or if it's crowded, email us. Just email james at graceforall.org and let him know. So if you want to be in a life group, uh, that's there. If you don't want to be in one, email James and tell him you're going to be in a life group, okay? <laughs> Even if you don't want to be in one. Why? Because discipline means sometimes you do stuff you don't want to do because it's the right thing to do, period, okay? And so I mean that. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But I mean that. Number two. If nobody is holding you accountable, I can't speak highly enough of godly accountability. Find somebody. Take your time. Be careful, right? You're going to tell this person who you are. But find somebody who will speak truth, who will love you regardless and speak truth. And look at the blog when it comes out. So my
enoughfortoday.org, enoughfortoday.org. And you can go there, click a little follow, and you'll get any posts. Uh, but uh, look at the blog that'll give you some, the blog that'll give you some, uh, some guidance for that. Finally, uh, two weeks from today, uh, we'll have what we call starter group or launch group. It's for people who are not in a life group, but you want to be in, you want to get the, the sense, the experience. That will be two weeks from today to meet in the youth building at 915, and you come to the next service. So uh, you can do that too. Just let them know, let us know in your card or email James or go to that place back there uh, in the corner, right-hand side as you leave. Uh, bottom line is this, I want meaningful fellowship to characterize us. I want us to grow. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I love these people, I do. Um, I cannot put into words nor can I characterize the depth of that love. I have journeyed with them now for uh, or through um, so many things. Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, cancer, divorce, death. Uh, I have uh, held newborn babies, baptized newborn believers. I've watched a bride joyfully walk down an aisle. And heard the teeth chattering next to me of the groom. I love this family. I do. We are quite imperfect. We stumble. I'm good with that as long as we are not, as the psalmist said, thrust headlong. Truth is, I can't take care of them all, and I am so grateful for these under-shepherds, these life group leaders who love them like I do, who care for them with your heart, Jesus. I pray for them first that they would embody Jesus over everything, heart change that leads to life change in others before themselves. I pray for those on the fringes this morning meandering around that may as well put a target on their back and say, come get me. I pray they would hear the warning and the encouragement, the exhortation of the word. And until we all get to heaven, let's live it together here on earth as your family. In Jesus' name, amen.